you have your Bibles, I'd love to encourage you to join me in Romans chapter 15. We're going to work our way through some verses. I know that we're diving right into the middle of this chapter, and it's been a few weeks since we have studied together, but I think these are incredibly relevant verses for where we find ourselves now. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't toot your own horn? You know what that means? I don't. Don't toot your own horn. I, I don't know what else you do with your horn. But what people are saying when they say that is, don't brag about yourself. Don't talk about your adventures. Don't share about your accomplishments. And the Bible says it this way, let another man praise thee and not your own lips. That's the Bible's way of saying, don't toot your own horn. And when we arrive here in Romans chapter 15, we are unearthing how the Apostle Paul navigated a challenging life of ministry and remained wholehearted, wholehearted in his pursuit of holiness and wholehearted in his passion for the cause of Christ. We are prone to wander, we are prone to fatigue, and he is unlocking for us in this chapter some principles that will help us to remain wholehearted. And in the verses that we arrive at this morning, Paul is going to do what one author calls sublime boasting. It's not sublime in the sense that he does a really good job of boasting about himself, but rather it is sublime boasting in the sense that he is boasting about God. I want you to notice in verse 17, and if you don't have your Bible, the verses are available here on the screens so that you can follow along and know this is God's word. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I have no doubt in my mind and would assume that you would agree with me that we live in a self-centered age. People are pursuing what and only what they perceive to be best for them. Chasing down their own preferences controlled by their own ambitions and ideals and desires. I happen to believe that that toxicity has crept its way into the church and many churches and many pastors and many individual believers are dominated by selfishness, controlled by, whether they're aware of it or not, pride, which is an abomination in the sight of God. Back in verse 15 here of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, the grace that is given to me of God. Basically, what he is saying in verse 15 ties into the three verses that I read a moment ago. He is communicating anything that I have done for the Lord Jesus Christ is not because I myself have attained some level of education, nor because I have some charismatic personality, but it is grace, it is a gift that was given to me by God. God chose me, God called me, and God fitted me for ministry. That's what he is beginning to communicate. 
The simple basic principle to derive from this is, is such. If any of us do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ, serving in any way, the outcome of that should never be that we boast of ourselves, but always boast about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a good truth to remember. There is nothing more harmful to a believer than too much of him or herself. There is nothing more harmful to we as believers than too much of ourselves. It is the spirit of Diotrephes, which John was writing and correcting, when he said of him, he loveth to have the preeminence. He loves to be first. He loves to be in control. He likes to be dominant. He loves to be heard. He likes his preferences upheld and his ambitions universally chased down. But rather, we should have the mentality of John the Baptist who said this, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase, must always and ever be increasing, and I must decrease, always and ever decreasing. If I say to you that self-centeredness in our age is toxic, it is noxious, it is poisonous to the church, and we acknowledge that it has crept its way in, there must be some antidote for that poison. And the Apostle Paul is communicating the antidote for the poison of self-centeredness is the glory of God. The glory of God is a really big thing. In fact, as we read about the Lord Jesus Christ on the evening when the shepherds were tending the flocks and an angel appeared before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, they were immediately frightened. The glory of the Lord shining around them struck them with fright. They were immediately put into a position of awe and reverence. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21, 23, speaking of the eternal city, talking about heaven. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. There is no need for the sun in heaven to shine, because the glory of the Lord is adequate for lighting the city of heaven for all eternity. I'm just trying to put in context here. The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds and they were struck with fear and reverence. The glory of the Lord is adequate to light the eternal city. In fact, in the book of Psalms, we are caused to acknowledge that the heavens themselves are perpetually running a commercial for the glory of God. Listen to Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. When you look at creation and you see the light spilling into these windows, we are aware that the heavens, the firmament, are declaring to us even now the glory of God. It is important for us to understand when I see the glory of God as it is communicated to me within Scripture, I see myself as I should see myself, small and insignificant. Now that's not popular because we don't want to view ourselves as such. But what Paul is beginning to communicate to us is this. Too much of ourselves is a bad thing. And the antidote for self-centeredness is the glory of the Lord. That's why he wrote to the church at Corinth. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 
Everything that you do is about God receiving the glory. When we live for the glory of God, what that means is this. We live and do everything we do to the exaltation of God. We eat and we drink and we engage in everything that we do so that God is honored. We eat and we drink and we engage in everything that we do so that God is pleased with what we are doing. That's what the Apostle Paul is driving us towards. That's what living for the glory of God means. We emphasize him and we de-emphasize us. And in no way, shape, or form is that comfortable truth to confront. But I want to walk with Paul through these three verses and help establish this. Note again what he says in verse 17. I have, Paul says, therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. He says this first and foremost. If you're going to remain wholehearted, if you are going to endure fatigue and the the capacity that you have to wander off into the flesh, you must always glory in Jesus Christ. It sounds simple. But Paul delighted in elevating the work and person of Jesus Christ. He refused to be the primary topic of conversation. He always made it about Jesus. You see, when the Apostle Paul arrived at a city to begin to minister, he oftentimes, most of the time, found that city completely gripped under Roman authority. He would walk the streets of that city and he would find people in largely widespread despair. He would find them living empty lives. No doubt he would see them in the grip of superstitious fear, worshiping pagan gods. But after a while, when he was in a city where no church existed, light would begin to spring up in darkness. People who were confronted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and born again and renewed in their spirit, would now begin to live, and he references good in word and deed, where previously they were pagan and superstitious and dark, they are now light. And if you went to the Apostle Paul and you said to him, Paul, I have a question for you. Were you able to impact the city of Thessalonica or the city of Ephesus when you arrived on scene because of your high level of education? Because of your charismatic personality? Because of your ability to speak eloquently, he would say to you, no, the reason that I could impact those cities had nothing to do with me. In fact, I refused to talk about me. I made it all about Jesus Christ. Here's what he said to the believers at Galatia. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Here's what he is saying. I only care about magnifying my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was writing to the believers at Colossae. He said this, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wherefore, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul talked about Jesus Christ. Do you realize, and I'm certain that you do, how far off we have veered from this center of ministry because much preaching and teaching is absent of Jesus Christ. So much of what we hear 
is human ideology and human philosophy. And so much of what we encounter in church is devised to be experiential. And what Paul is saying is this, I didn't create an experience for people at Ephesus. I did not engage with them because I was intelligent or eloquent. I went to them and I directly communicated to them truth about Jesus Christ. Can I say this to you? Much of the preaching that we hear de-emphasizes Christ and emphasizes man. And sometimes false teachers are very easy to point out, and other times we have to listen with a discerning ear. But if ever Jesus Christ is de-emphasized, a red flag should go up. Because ultimately, the Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament records for us the preparation for His coming. The Gospels, of course, establish Him as God in the flesh. The book of Acts is the message of salvation, the birth of the church as Jesus Christ ordained it. The epistles, the theology of Christ. The book of Revelation, the second coming and reigning of Christ. Listen even as Luke records this in Luke 24, 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Every part of scripture testifies about Jesus Christ. I want you to listen even further in John five thirty nine. Here's what Jesus said. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Philip, who was an evangelist, was transported out to speak with the Ethiopian eunuch who was searching the book of Isaiah for salvation. And when Philip, the evangelist, arrives on the scene in Acts 8.35, we read this, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. There are preachers and teachers who will make Jesus prominent but not preeminent. There is much preaching and teaching that I referenced a moment ago that is preferential or ideological, and it steers clear of Jesus. I'm not saying you can preach or or cannot preach a message ever that is not on the topic of Jesus Christ, but I will tell you this, all of the scripture points to Jesus Christ, so every message should point to Jesus Christ as well. And I know this. One of the reasons that we see the church world being factious is because we have drifted too far off of Jesus Christ. And the further you get away from Jesus Christ, the more reason you have to disagree with one another because we are kept together in the Holy Spirit. Unity is not uniformity, it is Jesus Christ who has changed every one of us. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Everything that I did... Everything that I was, was so that Jesus Christ could be glorified. He goes on and he says this in verse 18. I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Let me paraphrase that for you. Not because you're dumb, but because I want to help you to understand it. Sometimes a lot of Bible words strung together You feel a little lost. Here's what, let me paraphrase it in this way. I have no interest in giving you a wordy account of my adventures, only the wondrously powerful and transformingly present words and deeds of Christ in me that triggered a believing response among the outsiders. 
I am not here to tell you stories about me. I'm not here to share with you all of the adventures that I have been on. I do not want to boast about my accomplishments. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I am not good at outlines. I'm not good at it. Not, you say you're fishing and after church you want to stand in the lobby and have people tell you you're good at outlines. I do want that. I do want that, but that's not why I'm saying that. I'm not good at outlining. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, my wife was standing next to me. I preached out in California. A lady came, she shook my hand, and she said, your preaching put me to sleep. Okay, I have that effect on a lot of people, actually. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, I'll tell you why your preaching put me to sleep. I'm interested in this. Maybe I can make changes and keep you awake here. I'm doing good right now. I'm doing good right now. Just know I'm paying attention. I can see your face as clearly as you can see mine. And I said to her, well, why did my message put you to sleep? She said, our pastor gives us bullet points. And when I listen to him, I can write down the bullet points. They're right there and I just write them down. She said, when I listen to you preach, there are no bullet points. I have to really listen closely to get the bullet points. And I found that I just can't listen that closely. So I just went to sleep. Okay, I'm not good at outlines. You know what else I'm not good at? Telling good stories. I'm just not good at it. I, I can't say, and there was a time I had a little dog when I was a kid, and 12 minutes later, you're laughing and sitting there, and I've emotionally moved you because of a dog story in my message. I can't do it. I've tried. It's insincere when I try to do it. I can tell a story about your dog, but not mine. Sometimes we listen to preaching. And we are looking to be emotionally moved. We are trying to find some sentiment to attach ourselves to. And here's what Paul says. I'm not a great storyteller. The fact is, I don't even know that I delivered great outlines. But what I did do was tell people about Jesus Christ. And I refused to make it about my own adventures. I always pointed them back to Jesus Christ and only Jesus. Now think for just a minute. If anybody ever in ministry had the opportunity to boast of themselves, wouldn't it be the Apostle Paul? I mean, even more than Peter and John, he was effective. He went into Gentile cities and he saw thousands come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He was used more than anyone else to pen the New Testament. And what he communicates is deep doctrine and practical theology for the church. The Apostle Paul, even at a certain point, shares in his testimony that he was highly educated, that he was truly zealous, that he was a good living, clean living man, but all of that he threw into the garbage heap. He counted it as dung simply for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I want you to just listen to how the Apostle Paul assesses himself. He was writing to the church at Corinth and he said this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. He was willing to endure hardship in life For the sake of Jesus Christ. Listen further. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I am the least of the apostles. 
Well, no, you're not. In effect, I know that I am not worthy to be called a child of God. I am chosen, I am called, and I am fitted for ministry by the grace of God. But there is nothing in me that is worthy of that choosing, that calling, and that fitting. That was his mindset. This was not insincere, false humility. This is inspired scripture, which means it's truth. I am the least of the apostles. That's how he assessed himself. Listen further. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3.8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. What he is saying is this. If there is a train of sainthood, I am Less than the caboose on that train. Now, it's striking to me that that was his assessment of himself. I am the least of the apostles. I am less than the least of all saints. Listen to what he says to Timothy. This is near the end of his life. Things have been turned around pretty good. He has lived effectively. He writes this to Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So I simply ask you this, student of the Bible, if the Apostle Paul, who was called, chosen, and fitted by God for incredibly effective ministry, pinning the large portion of the New Testament that he pinned, seeing the thousands come to Christ that he saw, if he says of himself, I am the least of all the apostles, I am less than the least of all saints, and I am the chief of sinners, where do we get off thinking anything more than that of ourselves? Because if you line me up next to the Apostle Paul, and there was one chair with Paul and one chair with me, and we said, you get to pick who speaks this morning. Paul or the guy who can't outline or tell a story. You would say, well, let us hear from Paul. I understand that. And the fact is, if I said to you, hey, we're going to send you around the world, you've got missions work to do, we can either send you or Paul. Yeah, send Paul, because I'm a total spiritual loser. I don't think I could navigate it. Can you fathom that people like us have the audacity to sit in a room like this and expect accolades and expect praise and expect a pat on the back and expect for people to marvel at the works that we've done and the adventures that we've undertaken and the accomplishments that we have carried out. And Paul himself says, I will not dare speak of anything that I've ever done that hasn't got something to do with Jesus Christ. I am least of the apostles, less than the least of all saints, and it's fact I'm chief of sinners. One writer said this, Paul had this ability to enter a completely pagan city which practiced devil worship and gather a group of transformed believers in the name of Christ. He then hovered over them in prayer and by constant admonition lifted them from the most corrupt stratum of heathenism to the highest level of Christian godliness and morality. If Paul, who could do that, did not boast of himself, how do we get off thinking that our preferences, our ambitions... Our ideology should carry weight with everybody around us. It is truly wretched how we behave. And I know that good people like us, and I think largely we are good people. Are you a good person? I know what's coming next, so I'm just going to say no. 
My wife and I, as we were leaving for church this morning, people were walking on the street. And I said to her, I think for people in this world, it is getting stranger and stranger for them to see people get in their car, dressed for church, going off to church. And what I would think is that most of those people would see me and they would think, now mind you, they don't know me, they would think, that's a good person. Look at that good person going to church. And then I would come here and I would be with you and I look at you and I'm like, I actually am a good person because, whoa, all of you are here. I would think now we're gathered together and look at us good people. Look at us separated from the world. Look at us trying to worship God. Look at us setting aside time, and finances, and energy, and effort to do something for God. We're good people. And over the course of time, that can become deadly to people just like us. Because we are so convinced of our own goodness that we actually become hollowed out and there's no internal structure. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, you who would be perceived as good and might probably be guilty of thinking of yourself as good must come to terms with the fact that you have nothing to boast of. If you've done anything, it's because Jesus Christ did it through you. And he'll take it to the nth degree in verse 19. Through mighty signs and wonders, that's what he writes in verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now you have to understand, the apostolic community had the gifts of signs and wonders to authenticate their ministry. We do not have that any longer. But they could perform signs. And what does a sign do? It marks something. What is a wonder? It was something. It was a work that caused people to marvel. It caused people to wonder. It was a miraculous sign. And and they were giving spiritual significance to the message. It was a badge of authenticity. Paul said it was a sign of the apostle. Think of this in Acts chapter 19. Listen. Acts 19 verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now we read that. It's in the Bible. We know it. It's old. It's right here in black and white. It's just Bible. But stop for a second and think about what we just read. The apostle Paul was carrying out signs and wonders. He was literally able to heal people. In fact, what was going on was people were bringing him small bits of cloth, handkerchiefs, aprons. He would touch the handkerchief. He would touch the apron. They would then take the handkerchief or the apron back to the individual who was sick. They would let that individual touch the handkerchief or touch the apron, and they were healed. Now, that may not stand out to you, That's pretty incredible. And I would say to you, if I had the ability to heal, which I do not, neither does any other charlatan anywhere, but if I had the capacity to heal, I would venture to say I would go ahead and pen a resignation letter. It appears I have found a new way to vast wealth, and I don't want to work anymore. I'm going to sit in an Adirondack chair somewhere and touch hankies. That's it. I'm going to touch hankies and I'm going to be recompensed for hanky touching. That's what I'm going to do. 
The Apostle Paul says to us plainly, I could walk into a city, I could heal people who were near death, I could give sight to people who were blind. I could loose the tongues of the mute. I had the ability to heal. And you say, can you please regale us with all those stories? And in verse 19, he says, and every bit of that was by the power of the Spirit of God. It had nothing to do with me. When you really think of it in that light, it is stunning that the Apostle Paul who would go into a Gentile city gripped in darkness and win people to Christ, train them up to where they became church-planting, gospel-distributing entities who could walk up onto the hill at Oropagus and argue with the Epicureans and the Stoics, who could stand in Caesar's household, who literally could heal people and pen a third of the New Testament. And here's what he says. Here's his advice. If you want to stay wholehearted, Because life's long and there are a lot of challenges. If you want to stay wholehearted in your pursuit for holiness and your passion for the cause of Jesus Christ, here is what the Apostle Paul would say to you. It's all about Jesus Christ and center on that. Don't you dare ever boast of anything that you've done or any man has done outside of what Jesus Christ has done through that man. And remember that anything that is accomplished is all because of the power of the Spirit of God. If we could maintain that mentality, people disagreeing with us, a little bit of mistreatment or injustice filters differently. But here's the fact. One of the hidden secret sins in churches full of good people is the sin of pride. We want to just point out sins of perversion and abuse We want to point out sins of addiction and all of these kind of things that we don't have and we neglect to realize that we're completely dominated by something that God considers an abomination. And we are busy and we are expending energy and we are putting an effort and work to no avail. It has no eternal weight because it's all about us. It is stunning to hear the Apostle Paul say to a group like us, of good people. These were believers that he was writing to, and he simply says this, it's all about Jesus. Stop making it about you, your ambition, your will, your dreams, your desires. Stop making it about your preferences. It's all about Jesus. Don't let the preaching or teaching get away from Jesus. Don't you dare boast about yourself. Anything that's been done is all because of the power of the Spirit of God. Every servant of the Lord takes this truth in and is changed by it if they're humble. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.